Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello, hello, and welcome, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello, howdy. Howdy. (laughs) Trying to mix it up. (laughs) And how did did we think that went? (laughs) I think it was a success. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, rumours are swirling that Natalie Portman's husband had an affair with a 25-year-old climate activist. It looks like Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy might be over almost as soon as they began. There's a colossal power struggle over at Vogue and the long-running Sex and the City feud has taken a weird turn. But first, Zara McDonald, my beloved, how was your week? Great week, everyone. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I had a pretty good week. <laughs> oh, that's nice. not, not too bad. We've, As we said in the last couple of episodes, we've had a lot on in the last month or two work-wise and one of the things we were working on got finished oh it did it got finished and we'll talk about it more I love doing this clickbait thing I'm not even like (laughs) apologizing for it we will talk about it more in the next month or two but I was very very happy about that yeah my mum has a saying that like or not a saying just a mantra that when you finish a big project or you know a holiday is coming up that's when your body falls in a heap literally we submitted this thing on Monday and I fell in a heap and now I feel really unwell and burnt out. That's what happens when <laughs> I go on holidays. Yes. And it's so sad. I have two quick recommendations for you. The first one is care of Sahani, who works in the team. She actually recommended this as part of our Instagram rec wrap that we do every Thursday. And I listened to it and I loved it. It's an interview with Greta Gerwig on Dua Lipa's Service 95 podcast. Have either of you listened to this? No, but I've seen it around. Annabelle, yeah. I honestly think you would love it. I think you would also 
her like it, Michelle, oh, but I think... well then. <laughs> I do think, Annabelle, this is very much up your alley. I actually have to say I didn't know a heap about Greta Gerwig. No. Until I listened to this. I love her work. Like, I do love Little Women, the film that yes. she made. I also really liked Lady Bird. I don't know why I'm now talking about movies today. <laughs> but I, the few movies I've watched in the world are hers. And I listened to her talk and I just was blown away by how lovely she seemed. Ah. For someone who has so much power in Hollywood and who could so easily have an ego, she was very humble. That was one thing Sahani mentioned to me before I'd listened was that she felt that Greta was very humble. And I think it's a really interesting observation as women because I never want any woman to feel like she has to be really, really, really humble about everything she does. Yeah. Because that is what we're always told. But she has this kind of humility where it's more she feels like she has so much to learn constantly. Right. As soon as you said that you don't know anything about Greta Gerwig, it dawned on me. I don't know what she looks like, how old she what? is. I don't know. Is, how old is, is Greta? Let me she's guess. Like 40? Yeah, she's know. about oh, 40. Okay. Yep. She's got... Red hair? No, blonde. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> she's dating the guy who directed Marriage Story on Netflix. Oh, Noah Bomba. I yeah. loved Marriage They're Story. They're a powerful couple. They And they work really closely together. They wrote the script for Barbie together. Right. They work on a lot of projects together. They have two kids together. And I just adored listening to her. I love how Dua Lipa interviews. I think it's just like a really nice smooth calm listen Dua Lipa's like taking over the world she's not only a pop star she's got her book club she's got her podcast she is amazing and she did this interview while she was on tour in Australia and so at the start of the episode she gives all these Australia recommendations and I was like whoa she's shouting <laughs> out like Hope Street Radio oh, in really? Collingwood yeah. yeah it felt very exciting if stuff I'm like honest. that makes me so proud I, I was very <laughs> proud the second quick recommendation I've got for you is a bit of a longer podcast it is one on Acquired, which we have recommended before. Acquired often go back and kind of detail the history of certain companies. This one is on the New York Times company. It is fascinating. It does go for two and a half hours. <laughs> but guys, I just have a lot of respect. I always had a lot of respect for the New York Times. But when you understand more about the history of the company, how long it's been running for and how it stayed in the one family that entire time and what they value the most, I do have a lot of respect for what that company is wow so we like the people behind new york times well yeah i mean this is, <laughs> this is always these kinds of things where i get so scared being like yes i love them because someone what will be like fucked things have yeah. they done? <laughs> one thing that is very clear is that they have constantly over the last sort of couple of hundred years been pursuing good stories and good journalism over profit yes okay. and that has always been one of their core values which has always been really interesting the other thing that I learned, and I don't know if I was in the minority here, do you know how many downloads The Daily gets? Weekly, monthly, what are we going Daily, for? Daily, per new episode. Per new episode. Oh, God. A million? Four million. Four what? million an episode. Yeah. Wow. Here am I recommending The Daily as sometimes as if they ever need <laughs> any help at all. Yeah, four million downloads on new episodes. That makes daily. us feel like a little mouse. I, <laughs> We're so I tiny. was like, what's the point of what we do? <laughs> anyway, how are you? How was your week? What are you recommending? I'm good. Apart from being burnt out, I'm good. I'm excited. I feel like I'm crawling to our mid year break. Love doing this show. Love chatting to the listeners every week, but. I'm also partial to a holiday. Yeah, aren't we all? We've got about three to four weeks left, guys. Not We're like ready. anyone's counting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my recommendation for the week. For the first time in five and a half years of doing this show, 
I have David McDonald to thank for my recommendation. <laughs> Zara's dad <laughs> was the birthplace of this wreck for me. I know. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever recommended something from my dad either. <laughs> but the thing about this, and I don't know how often my dad listens to this podcast. This will be quite telling. A great test. Sometimes he calls me and says, here's this thing that you might like. You should listen to it and recommend it on the show. And I do have to be honest, I very rarely pick up that recommendation. <laughs> During the week, you were expressing interest in a story I think you're about to go into. Yes. And I said, my dad had actually called me, I honestly think about six months ago, to tell me <laughs> to listen to a podcast about this. You should listen to it. Yes. So some of the listeners, and maybe Annabelle, I don't think we've actually had a conversation about this. You might have seen a story around this week about how, and I'm putting this in inverted commas, Australia's biggest female serial killer was let out of jail. Yes. Okay. Okay, so this is the story of Kathleen Folbig. It is quite dark. I'm not even going to bother to go into the nitty gritty details. All the listeners need to know is it's about a mother who was accused of killing her children. She has been let out of prison after 20 years because more than 150 scientific experts called for her to be let out. There was an inquiry and it was decided she should be let out of jail. She's been in there for 20 years. 20 (sighs) years she's been in prison. This podcast... Thank you, David McDonald, <laughs> is such a brilliant one. I have listened to five episodes since last night. I was sitting at my desk this morning prepping for this episode, listening to the podcast in my ears still because I literally didn't want to turn it off. I just think this is such an important one. I think a lot of people would have seen headlines about biggest female serial killer and Kathleen Folbig and her children and made a snap judgment. I think you really should listen to this podcast series if that sounds like you, because that was me. I got to dinner on Monday night with my family and was talking about this with my little sister, Evelyn, who's a doctor. And I was like, oh, the woman who murdered her kids. And Evelyn stopped me and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's be careful with this language. Yeah, she said, I, I want, like, I've been really deep diving this. I think you should deep dive it too and really look into it before you say things like that. And I'm really happy. I've actually looked into it. I think the host of this show is incredible. She's a journalist who has also lost a child herself. So I think she's incredibly well-placed to tell this story. I just really recommend it. It's called Mother's Guilt. There's also a follow-up episode now that Kathleen has been released. Yeah. how I actually will try and listen to this now. Mm. And dad will be like, see? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the real daughter yeah, on the show? Exactly. <laughs> One quick reminder, or not even a reminder, an announcement mm. as well. Shameless Charity merch is back. We are doing our winter jumpers again. We know you guys love these every single year. They're going live at 5 p.m. on the day this podcast drops. So quick date check that is the 8th of june 5 p.m aest as always we are donating ten dollars per jumper to a charity of our choice our charity partner this year is the sacred heart missions women's house zara yeah we've supported them a few times over the course of doing charity merch and we are just so stoked to be able to donate our cut from this charity merch that you so generously buy as well to the sacred heart women's house so Get on it, guys. They are incredibly warm and fluffy jumpers as well. They are so good. I mean, we gave them to some of the girls in the office. We gave it to everyone in the office. And multiple team members turned around and said, I actually really like this jumper. I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> and then the next day they all rocked up wearing it. We have. We do look a bit like a cult I at know, the moment. 100%. And there was like no instruction for anyone to wear it. They just, it's on it's <laughs> it. They're on volition. Now, can we talk about the first story for the day? I am desperate to jump into some of these stories today. Oh my Because we have a lot to cover. We are starting though with the story around Natalie Portman, Mish, and her husband. Oh, guys, over the weekend, Page Six published an article with 
with the headline, Natalie Portman, Benjamin Millipede, fight for marriage amid his affair with 25-year-old. Yeah, I was definitely pretty surprised to see this headline around. Namely because I feel like Natalie Portman is one of those celebrities who is notoriously private, Mm. right? Like speaking of celebrities you know very little about, I feel like I know very little about her. I think what is interesting here and potentially important is a bit of context on their relationship before we actually properly outline what was reported over the weekend. Now, Natalie Portman is 41. Her husband is a 45-year-old dancer and choreographer who was once a principal at the New York City Ballet. Mm. Now, of course, they met on the set of Black Swan in 2009 when he was the choreographer. He was teaching her ballet, right? Yeah, yeah. He was like her dance teacher I guess yeah for all the dancing she did in that film as a quick aside their coming together wasn't without controversy at the time it was reported that Millipede left his partner at the time for Portman Mish yeah here's how page six reported on that story 13 years ago A source suggested New York City ballet principal dancer Benjamin Millipede dumped his ballerina girlfriend Isabella Boylston for Natalie Portman to social climb. Maybe they have a great relationship, but knowing Benjamin, I don't think that's how it is, a source said. So what I found really fascinating when I was really deep diving this and going back to kind of the 2009-2010 archives is how the press around Benjamin Millipede hasn't always been the most flattering. I also stumbled on this Guardian profile of him in 2016, so a few years later, and the journal wrote this. In 2009, Millipede was a successful principal dancer and choreographer at New York City Ballet, which he joined in 95. He lived with an up-and-coming American ballet theatre soloist, Isabella Boylston. All said to be fair and love and war, but when Millipede reportedly left Boylston for Natalie Portman, with whom he was working Working on Black Swan, he didn't win any admirers in the ballet world. The dancers clustered around their distressed colleague, as dancers do, and one senior company member told me that they felt Millipede had behaved pretty brutally and unchivalrously. Ooh. I just was quite, I only wanted to include that because I felt it was quite savage for a guy who's clearly really well known in his industry, but not that famous. No. Like for the press. Not to us. I no. don't know who Benjamin Millipede was. Yeah. You know, he's not like an A-lister. So for the press around him to be the savage at the time, I find fascinating. Kind of reminded me of when Tony Collette's husband was papped in the waves at Point <laughs> Beach and everyone was acting like he's an A-lister. Well, I remember his name, Dave Gallifaxi. <laughs> now let's chat about what happened since then. The couple married in 2012 had two kids together so yes they had that semi-contentious maybe controversial love story in the early days reportedly anyway but seemed to end up okay I mean they've been married now for 11 years yeah and they've seemed pretty stable so that kind of brings us to what happened over the weekend this page six article that spoke about this supposed affair had a really interesting way of opening. I kind of want to read it out to you and I want us to talk about it. Natalie Portman and her ballet dancer hubby, Benjamin Millipede, are battling to save their marriage after she discovered that he had an affair with a 25-year-old woman, sources tell page six. We're told the pair, who married in 2012, separated last year, but managed to work through their relationship woes. Now, their marriage has once again been rocked by revelations that he cheated. How are we 
you're reading that. I read that, particularly that last line. Their marriage has once again been rocked by revelations that he cheated. But wouldn't page six say, if there were whispers that this wasn't his first time of maybe allegedly, reportedly having a wandering eye, wouldn't they put that in there? It, it feels... It's not like there's something going on. That's what I, I'm like. Is this the most cleverly worded two sentences ever, or is it the most clunkily worded yeah. two <laughs> sentences ever? Like, are you trying to tell me something, or am I just the idiot that's trying to read into it? Because the point they made is that yes, they separated reportedly last year. They worked through it. Now this has happened recently. Yeah. Upon a, a little bit more digging, it does appear that they split in November last year for a little bit. Here's what page six had to say about that. We hear it was an open secret on the set of Portman's upcoming movie, May, December, which was shot in November over the course of 23 days that she and Millipede were having problems. And word at the premiere at the Cannes Film Festival this month was that the couple was still on thin ice. <sighs> okay, so we're thinking they split, got back together, and then this happened this year, but we don't know the reason for the OG split last year. Yeah, it's so confusing. Now... What a French magazine is reporting. So page six, I think, have like the American scoop on this, but mm. they're also kind of going off a French magazine called Voici. Oh, <laughs> nice. very nice. Guys. I love that you said it and then paused to see how we received it. <laughs> I actually think you did very well. From my two little Frenchies over here. <laughs> Thank you. No, so this French magazine alleges that in March, Natalie Portman found out that Benjamin Millipede was having an affair with a 25-year-old climate activist called Camille Etienne. Yeah, I want everyone to know as well, I'll try my best to use a French accent, but I'm calling it Voicy and Camille Etienne. Voicy. Voicy. Now, for context, Camille is something of a celebrity in her own right. She has almost 300,000 followers on Instagram. According to her Wikipedia page as well, since 2020, she has been named on a number of lists that rank France's most influential women. According to page six, Camille, a pal of eco-superstar Greta Thunberg, has made a number of short films on the environment and written the book for an ecological uprising, overcoming our collective powerlessness. She's something of like a mover and shaker in the activism space in France. Yeah, I found that line interesting as well. A pal of eco-superstar Greta Thunberg. I'm like, keep Greta out of this. <laughs> nothing wrong <laughs> now what's strangest about this right and i do think there are a couple of strange elements as i'm hinting to is that voici published images of millipede and etienne going to his office separately on may 24 so this is only a couple of weeks ago and exiting 10 minutes apart almost two hours later mm. so essentially what this french magazine is reporting and what page six is reporting is that Natalie Portman and Benjamin Millipede split in November. They kind of worked through it. She found out about this affair in March. And yet on May 24, two weeks ago. That was so recent. It looks like mm. they're still seeing each other. So has Natalie Portman found out about this affair in March? Has been told it's over or is happy for it to keep going? Or that The, the timeline here has desperately confused me. Am I the only one? No. Also, for someone, as we said at the top of this segment, so completely private like Natalie Portman... I'm desperate to know how this actually made its way into a French tabloid and into page six. With like, photos. Like how did, who tipped telling off the paps? A pap. Only so many people would know about this affair. Someone's tipping off the paps. Could it be, and this is just complete speculation from me, obviously we don't know. Could it be that either woman was told that a situation had been resolved? Either woman has found out that's not the case and so they want to make this public. Say if you were Camille in this instance, 
and you've been told by the man that you're seeing that his marriage is over, it's ended, and then maybe you get a suspicion it's not and you want to force the issue publicly. Yeah, but why would anyone like a 25-year-old climate activist want to be in the headlines for these kinds of things? Like, it would not be fun no. at all. It would be so, so hard for everyone involved. That's what surprises me about the three people involved, namely Natalie, Camille, Benjamin. I don't think any three of these are wanting to leak this because who wants to be part of the story? Unless you just want to go rogue. I do, it doesn't make sense to me. I am very confused. I wonder as well if an affair, again, if, was taking place at a workplace, in an office. I mean, oh. if I saw something, if I saw two people Wait, having so an you, affair. Wait, so you throw one of us under the bus? You I can't guarantee I <laughs> Depends what the pay packet is. <laughs> oh, my God. For what it's worth as well, all the reports that seem to be quite unanimous are saying that Benjamin and Natalie Portman are working through this yeah. and that will intend to kind of stay together. So I feel like the thing about this is that often we say, oh, we'll keep an eye on it and see what comes out. Nothing else will ever come out about this and we'll never find out. Will Natalie Portman and Benjamin Millipede quietly split in, say, nine to 12 months? I think so. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement there, right? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we will be checking back in, but I think I agree with you. This is going to be handled very privately from here on out. Coming up after the break, Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy are already over. There's a power struggle at Vogue and the long-running Sex and the City feud just got new life. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough lay and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually nothing. Nothing. There's just crickets in her yeah. head. Crickets, Andrew. Crickets, Andrew. What have That's you got? Right. I think we're a little tired. We, yeah, we need fine. a holiday. Exactly. <laughs> Our first story: Taylor Swift and the 1975's Maddie Healy breakup. It was always casual, <laughs> says source. That is from People magazine. Oh my god, dearly beloved. On Tuesday, which was a month and three days after we learned that Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy were dating, we learned that they have split. A month and three days. <laughs> it feels like it's been six months. <laughs> I, I'm so happy this is over. I already can't wait in like two or three years time for us to do <laughs> the five part scandal series <laughs> one month in time. Anyway, TMZ seemed to be first to get this news. They reported, according to a friend close to the situation, Taylor is in fact single again, although it's still unclear why they've split up. Yeah. As for people who followed suit a couple of hours after TMZ, a source told them Taylor had fun with him, but it was always casual. They are no longer romantically involved. Entertainment Tonight, who was one of the publications that got the jump on the original Taylor Swift, Joe Alwyn split news, got this quote. They are both extremely busy and realize they're not really compatible with each other. Taylor's friends want what's best for her and aren't shocked that their relationship fizzled out since she recently got out of a long-term relationship. There's something about that quote that just rings so true for me. I reckon if I was Taylor's friend, I'd be watching on the last month going, babe, I know you're going through some shit. <laughs> this but is like, not it. Let's recalibrate. 
Yeah, I also found it interesting this morning people came out with like another small update, which was they were never boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> like, sorry, you cannot rewrite history. We were all there. You know what I mean? He was yeah. hanging out with her dad like a week ago. Don't pull the wool over my eyes. I'm not an idiot. I don't care. Like, you can't get me on some technicality that they may not have defined each other as a boyfriend and girlfriend. He was at like a hundred of her shows. Now, I am interested now in a couple of things firstly how she responds to this because she Mm. seems to respond to headlines about her at her concerts in really subtle ways yes I feel like maybe this weekend she'll make some comment interesting what what do you you are the oracle so what are we what are we thinking I I don't know because she's already done the whole I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm the happiest I've ever been. Can I make a prediction? You can do that. I'm not the Oracle. I think it'll be something like, this year's been a really big year for me. Yeah, it'll be roller coaster. Yeah, like be things have been chaotic. great. Things have been hard. I'm so grateful to you, my for steadfast fans. Being on this journey with <laughs> I me. I should be a pop star. <laughs> it'll be for being on this journey with me. Chaos. Yeah. Roller coaster. When ups. everything turns to shit. I've always got you yes. guys. Wow, and it's beautiful. It is beautiful and so inspiring. Um, I think it'll ups and downs as well. we'll yeah. We're just throwing everything out there. Well, it was only two weeks ago that Taylor said, literally, I've just never been this happy in my life in all aspects of my life ever. She said that at a Massachusetts concert. So I think she's going through some stuff. I have to be honest with everyone. Here this breakup does make me think that this wasn't a PR stunt. Oh, good. Yeah, I think I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. I'm Why? Back. Run us through Because I think over the last month when we've done practically a thesis on these two yeah. on this podcast, we've bounced around. We've gone from saying Look, PR stunt to not PR stunt. Where are we now? I think there's no denying this has been one of the sloppier things that has been in Taylor Swift's public narrative for a long time, right? And I think that's why it's so confusing for people because it's like, if it's a PR stunt, why? If it's not a PR stunt, why? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like none of it makes sense. For me, I think it became clear that it was so bad for PR Mm. that she cannot be with him anymore and it's not an important enough relationship for her to kind of withstand the backlash she's getting. Yeah. I definitely underestimated how strong the backlash was going to be as well. I completely agree with that. The first time we ever spoke about these two, we're like, maybe it gives her brand some grit and maybe it makes her kind of a bit edgy again. And we were talking a lot about quotes that she'd given that maybe she was worried she would lose that. I think as the relationship went on for four and a half weeks we've realized that actually this isn't gritty this is just terrible for brand (laughs) like we went so far beyond being gritty to just being downright train wreck that's the thing there are so many people you could have a pr relationship with who are just plain gritty yep none that come to mind straight away like davidson yeah yeah true you know what because there's not huge controversies that come with dating him but it's giving casual sex yeah not serious having fun so there's just something so strange about this story and i do think we will get more about this and more understanding of why it happened because i think taylor swift and tree Payne will be realizing in a year or so they'll really need to spin this somehow well i kind of think the more i've followed taylor's life and career she is just so messy in professional stuff she is really measured and meticulous when it comes to her love life and personal decisions she can be complete agent of chaos and i think the more 
we recognize that the less her relationships are PR. Well, it's like one or the other. Sometimes the things she does are the most deliberate decisions mm. you'll ever see mm. and that there's no one that's more deliberate than she is, both professionally and socially when it comes to a PR sense. And then there are sometimes where it's just like, all rules out the window. Yeah. We also saw her in concert on the weekend singing an acoustic version of I Don't Want to Live Forever. And she sang out the lyrics, wondering if I dodged a bullet or just lost the love of my life. And genuinely, she looks so choked up. I am <laughs> holding out hope that she and Joe can reunite and we can forget this blip ever. <laughs> I love it. She was so not choked up. <laughs> she was emotional. And I definitely, I felt like my reading of it was, and I, said this to you guys when we were talking about it in the office I definitely felt like it was powerful mm. and I definitely felt like there was a lot of emotion behind the song I hated this song until this version of it yeah. and I was like this is my new favorite song it's a beautiful version there was the acoustic definitely version. a lot of emotion but you have so many people on TikTok being like she's crying I'm like she's not crying she is she's very close Annabelle, to crying she's I would say she's emotional oh, I'm sorry <laughs> side with me for once Annabelle <laughs> stop being so measured <laughs> our second story Edward Enenfuls out Anna Wintour is staying inside Vogue's power struggle that is from the Sunday Times what a story it was only last week Mish that you were recommending Edward Ennenfall's interview on the diary of a CEO yes this information or this update I think casts new light on that interview now absolutely so in case you missed it over the weekend we got headlines from publications like Women's Wear Daily that said this, Edwin Ennenfall promoted to new global role at Vogue. The pieces were generally glowing, right? Yeah. Here's the opening para of the one I just mentioned. Edward Ennenfall is moving on and up at Condé Nast with a new global role that he'll take up in 2024 after stepping away from his post as editor-in-chief of British Vogue. Ennenfall will take on the new position of global creative and cultural advisor at Vogue and will also become editorial advisor at British Vogue. Sounds pretty good. A lot of the reports that came out, as you said, Zara, were glowing and really positioned this update and this news piece as a positive thing. Only a couple of days after that, reports came out that really pivoted, I think, and shed new light on this update at Vogue. If the report in the Sunday Times is to be believed, this has happened. Edward has stepped away from British Vogue because he tried and failed to turf out Anna Wintour in the ambition that he would replace her as the editor-in-chief of American Vogue. Yeah, it's a pretty fascinating report. So it opened by comparing Edward Ennenfall's stint at British Vogue or as editor-in-chief of British Vogue, I should say, which was six years with that of his predecessor, Alexandra Shulman, who lasted 25. It's also fascinating because last week I was on the show talking about how in this interview that Edward did with mm. Diary of a CEO, he was talking about how he stays in jobs forever. Yeah. And doesn't leave. We were on this podcast being like, how incredible, such long stints, our generation could never. <laughs> it's like, turns out Edward could never <laughs> either. And six years in a such a prime job like editor-in-chief is not much. It's not. Yeah. It is the kind of job that you stay in for as long as you possibly can. The journalist John Arridge wrote this, gossips in the most gossipy of industries wonder why his tenure was so short, but the most remarkable thing is that it lasted as long as it did. Yeah, this article was very forthright in its assertion that things between Edward and Anna have not been good for a while. It also claimed that Edward Ennenfall told friends that a move to New York City 
was kind of imminent. He was very confident that he was going to get Anna Wintour's job. A friend supposedly told the journalist this. Edward thought Anna's days were numbered and he would be a shoo-in, but he was wrong. Don't expect him to be much in evidence at Vogue, despite his grand-sounding new title. So in other words, this new title that the likes of Women's Wear Daily was saying was moving on and up is actually, according to the Sunday Times, window dressing. They say in the Sunday Times that this is essentially just a like a dummy role. It says in the press release from Vogue that Edward will have like newfound freedom. The word freedom is used in it. And the assertion by the Sunday Times is, well, he's going to be so free, he's not even going to be working for Vogue. Yeah, that's definitely the sense that you get is it's one of those promotions that's not really – it's so vague that you essentially don't work for the company. Yeah. Now, another friend of Edwards told the publication he did not believe he would have to play second fiddle for much longer to a 70-something woman who to him represented so much that had been wrong with the industry for far too long. According to this story, Edward tried to appeal to Condé Nast CEO Roger Lynch about replacing Anna with him. But Lynch ultimately sided with Anna. Apparently, one sticking point, a huge sticking point, according to the report, was over Edward Enenful's suggestion that Vogue should be gender neutral. Yeah, and the long-running CEO, who apparently has quite conservative Conservative. viewpoints and politics, was completely spooked by the idea that Vogue would become a gender neutral publication. Yeah. I think what is really interesting reading Amy O'Dell's biography of Anna Wintour and also some of her commentary on TikTok, if you're still interested in conversations about this, Amy O'Dell's TikTok is really Mm. good. And she made note that when she was interviewing people for her book, she was stunned even still about how much power Anna has even at this point in her career that so many people over the last 10 to 15 years have tried to assume she's quote-unquote too old or past it or as the allegation is in this piece a sign of everything that's wrong with the fashion industry Mm. when in reality she has more power than ever yeah well the thing about this story that really gets me is I was reading this going, right, well, who's the new editor-in-chief of British Vogue, right? There isn't one. British Vogue will merely have a head of editorial content, but that person will now directly report into Anna Wintour, which means Anna now has editorial control over British Vogue and is officially more powerful than, like, even before. Like, what a pathetic title, head of editorial (laughs) content. It's the editor-in-chief title that's the glossy thing and it's what the big titles have I just I do believe this if I'm honest and the reason that I believe this is that if this wasn't true and there was an existing tension between Edward Annenfull and Anna Wintour and firstly they do have very different ideas about what Vogue should be you can see that in their magazines there would never have been that scenario in 2021 where they both put Adele on the cover and both had Adele cover stories yes there is no way that would have happened if there wasn't tension and I, I I have to say I reckon there may be something to this report. I absolutely agree with you. Our third story. Elliot Page says he was previously in a relationship with Kate Mara. That is from Vulture. I love this story. I don't know if you guys saw it around this week, but Elliot Page has just released his memoir called Page Boy. And so naturally in the last week or so, many of the stories he tells in that book, particularly about Hollywood, have made headlines. Of note, my favourite story is his secret relationship with actress Kate Mara back in 2014. 
Here's how Elliot Page wrote of this relationship in his book. The first person I fell for after my heart was broken was Kate Mara. She had a boyfriend at the time, the lovely and talented Max Minghella. Now, as I said, Elliot Page said this happened in 2014 before he had come out as trans. Mm. What's really interesting is Page has also said that Kate Mara has read the book the two are still really good mates and that she will appear at a book event for Page Boy in LA later this month. So this is not like a gotcha story. This is like a really beautiful secret love story. That they're both now willing to, to tell, tell and willing to promote as part of the book tour. Now, Elliot wrote that Mingella, so again, Kate Mara's boyfriend at the time, was really supportive of Kate Mara simultaneously staying in their relationship but also exploring her feelings for Elliot Page. Elliot even wrote that Kate Mara told him that she never thought she could be in love with two people and that their relationship taught her she could. On that, Elliot wrote this. This was right after I'd come out as gay and it was a time of exploration and also heartbreak. I think my relationship, or whatever you want to call it with Kate, very much encapsulates a certain dynamic that I consistently found myself in, which was falling for people that, I think a lot of us do this, aren't fully available. Of his relationship with Kate Mara currently, he wrote, I think the love and care that we have for each other is its very own special thing, separate from the intimacy that I write about. I just loved this story because when I saw the headline, I thought I was clicking into a different kind of story, something that was salacious and maybe one that was going to have a bit more of a ripple effect. Yeah. And then when I read it, I was like, this is really beautiful. Like from Max, from Kate, from Elliot. Everyone's way more mature than I would be. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Said? If my partner came to me and said, I'm in love with another person, I wish I could approach that with the idea of learn, love, grow. Realistically, I think I would have a breakdown and not function. <laughs> I would be so bad at it, but that's why I love reading these stories because I'm like, God, what mature, wonderful people. Our fourth story, Drew Barrymore slams tabloids claiming she wants her mother dead. That is from Huff Post. Some context for those who haven't listened to our Scandal series that actually just dropped last week and the week before, Drew Barrymore was emancipated at the age of 14, so she legally divorced her parents after a judge found she was better off in her own care at the age of 14 than in the care of her mother. Yeah, exactly. Now, this came off the back of an incredibly tumultuous childhood where Drew's father, John, was essentially absent and her mother, Jade, was taking her to Studio 54 from the age of like eight. At that point, she started drinking alcohol. In the years after, she started taking drugs and by 13, she went to Yeah. Drew's been profiled by New York Magazine's Vulture this week and her quotes have made plenty of headlines, particularly the quotes about her mum. Now, she and the journalist who wrote the story, a man named E. Alex Jung, were speaking about Steven Spielberg initially. And Drew said of Steven Spielberg, he's the only person in my life to this day that ever was a parental figure to me. From there... The interview kind of turned to look at the Drew Barrymore show and some of the recent guests that Drew has had on. Two of those guests are Jeanette McCurdy, the author of I'm Glad My Mum Died, a memoir that we've spoken a lot about on Shameless. Also, Brooke Shields, whose mum Terry managed her career and was notoriously obsessed with her and very damaging towards her. Yeah, and it was in that context that Drew gave this quote. 
all their mums are gone and my mum is not. And I'm like, well, I don't have that luxury, but I cannot wait. I don't want to live in a state where I wish someone to be gone sooner than they're meant to so that I can grow. I actually want her to be happy and to thrive and be healthy, but I have to fucking grow in spite of her being on this planet. The piece went on. An hour after the words leave her mouth, she already regrets suggesting any ill will towards her mum. I dared to say it and it didn't feel good. I do care. I'll never not care. And I don't know if I'll ever know how to fully guard, close off, not feel, build the wall up. Yeah. If you read this piece, one thing is abundantly clear and it is that Drew Barrymore feels so many conflicting ways about her mother. So many. And I think the piece definitely takes you on that journey. And I have to say, I feel like we learned a lot researching Drew Barrymore for our two-part series. But what was really hard in this Vulture profile to read is how at this age, Drew is still so traumatized by so much of it Mm. that she can't make sense of what she feels and she can't make sense of how she can talk about that. And in the context of that quote, which is all their mums are gone and my mum is not, and I'm like, well, I don't have that luxury, but I cannot wait. What Drew is saying is quite clear to me in the context of the piece. It's that she can't just wait till her mum dies to talk about the pain and the trauma like Jeanette McCurdy has done and Brooke Mm. Shields has done, that sometimes she feels like she needs to express that pain now in order to grow, but her mum is alive and it becomes very complicated for her to do that. Yeah, and let's not forget, Drew never had the option to decide to make this story public in the first place. That was never a decision she got to make. She was famous from a very young age. She was thrust into the acting scene at 11 months old. Her rehab stint was being written about by the media when she was a literal teenager. I think she was 13 when the first report came out that she was in rehab. The media reported on her emancipation at the age of 14. We've known this story. She's never had the option to keep this private while her mum's alive. And I can imagine it would be a massive push and pull internally for her to decide, okay, well, the story's out there. People know what is mine to share and what is not mine to share. And what will I maybe tell the world about my experiences? I'm sure there's so much we don't know about, by the way. What will I tell the world when my mum's no longer around? And I'm sure now that she's had Jeanette McCurdy and Brooke Shields on her show, I've seen snippets from these interviews where I reckon you can see Drew sort of mulling around with her feelings. And I imagine from the impression I get from this profile and these quotes that there is some element of jealousy that she cannot heal Mm. properly until her mum dies and that is not her wishing her mum was dead it is just a really complicated scenario naturally though the press jumped on these quotes and completely twisted them I mean this one came from the Daily Mail Drew Barrymore admits she wishes her mother was dead there was this one from page six Drew Barrymore admits she wishes her mother Jade was dead I cannot wait there was another from the mirror Drew Barrymore admits she wishes her mum was dead as she opens up about childhood trauma Like the misunderstanding that the press has or the deliberate misunderstanding. Mm. If anyone wanted to read this story, it becomes really clear what she's saying, but no one wanted to. They would prefer to take the quote out of context. And not just that, they've put dead in capital letters as well. It's just so abrasive. In response to the many headlines that came out in the hours after her profile with Vulture, Drew issued this stunning smackdown on Instagram. To all you tabloids out there, you have been f***ing with my life since I was 13 years old. I have never said that I wish my mother was dead. How dare you put those words in my mouth? I have been vulnerable and tried to figure out a very difficult, painful relationship 
while admitting it is difficult to do while a parent is alive. And that for those of us who have to figure that out in real time, cannot wait as in they cannot wait for the time, not that the parent is dead. Don't twist my words around or ever say that I wish my mother was dead. I have never said that. I never would. In fact, I go on to say that I wish that I never have to live in existence where I would wish that on someone because that is sick. I adore Drew Barrymore. I know I said that in our Scandal series. Go listen to it if you are interested in this story. I will ride or die for this particular celebrity forever. She is so firmly in my past basket. I don't even think past basket adequately describes we it anymore. We need a new label. She's my ride or die celeb. She's my number one. <laughs> and you're only allowed to have one of those. You're allowed one. And it's Drew Barrymore for nice. me. Nice. I will let you have that. <laughs> Our fifth story. Kim Cattrall had very specific stipulations to appear on and just like that. That is from Elle magazine. I feel the need to say this every time we read out and just like that. It's not a great title for a show. It doesn't really make sense in a headline. Of course, we're talking about the Sex and the City TV spinoff. I am so confused by this story. So late last week, everyone, and I will say everyone, was surprised to learn that Kim Cattrall <laughs> is returning to the Sex and the City empire after years of fighting. And when we say fighting, <laughs> she had her fists out. She is participating in a scene of And Just Like That. Now, to recap... Famously, again, sorry to spruik our own stuff. We did a pretty solid scandal series on this too. It's actually our third most popular ever. Yeah, I adored doing it. And once again, if you don't know much about this, definitely listen to it. But famously, Kim Cattrall does not get along with her former co-stars. At first, she wanted more money and she seemed annoyed that Sarah Jessica Parker was paid more than she was back in the TV show days. Yes. Then the two films came out and it was widely reported that things were kind of tense between the two women. Then when talks are at the pointy end to start shooting Sex in the City 3, Kim pulled out in what seemed to be the 11th hour. Yeah, we talk about this a lot in Scandal. It sounds like the production company and the other women involved in the show tried to force Kim maybe to be involved. She hadn't signed a contract and they were hours away from beginning filming. And then when she said, I'm not doing this, I've told you I'm not doing this, they all pointed the finger at Kim and said, how dare you not do this film? But it sounded like she never really wanted to in the first place. Yeah. And then, of course, there was the infamous interview with Piers Morgan where she famously <laughs> said, this is really where I take to task the people from Sex and the City and specifically Sarah Jessica Parker. I really think she could have been nicer. <laughs> Do you think that tone was good? Nicer. You with your French accent and your American accent I are really bringing it. <laughs> she then said, I don't know what her issue is. So it's so interesting to me because not only has she made it clear her disdain for Sarah Jessica Parker, yeah. and honestly, those quotes don't even touch the surface of what else happened. She's also made it crystal clear that she thinks it's absurd that Sex and the City has gone on for as long as it has. Yeah, like for years now, she's been saying, it's done, we're done, why do we keep rehashing this? I think as well, she also points to the massive flop of the second Sex and the City film, which was like problematic on so many levels and says why do we keep opening this pandora's box like let's just keep it shut even last year she gave this quote to variety it's a great wisdom to know when enough is enough i also didn't want to compromise what sex in the city was to me the way forward seemed clear that whole piece was headlined with like kim cattrall knows when to say no and like on the power of knowing when something's done 
So to now hear that she's going back to the Sex and the City franchise is so confusing. So she's got a scene and it's a phone (laughs) call with Carrie. And to make it happen, apparently production had to guarantee that Kim would have no contact with the other women or Michael Patrick King, the showrunner. I just, a phone call. It's kind of like, I do have to be honest. I can't stop thinking, if you're going to do something, do it properly. Yes. Like, we're really half-assing this. Yeah, it's the most half-assed thing ever. A single scene where you don't even have face-to-face contact with any of the women. I would love to know how much she's actually being paid for this gig because I think it would be a lot. My favourite thing about this story was that a spokesperson representing the show told Page Six, the offer presented to Kim Cattrall was always to be a phone call, shot alone as most calls would be. This was an easy and convenient way for Samantha to return. We are delighted it worked out. How is that spin? (laughs) We are delighted it worked out. Is this it working out? No. I think this simply just kicks up more conversation about what the hell went on between these women where Kim Cattrall said, yes, I'll come back to the show, but I refuse to be in the same vicinity as Sarah Jessica Parker. I am so confused because now it feels like she's given up all ground she had kind of made about not bringing back shows that are done for not even a very good scene. It's incredibly funny. I was with her for so long because I loved Sex and the City, the show. I kind of loved the first film. I hated the second one and I don't like the idea of And Just Like That being revived. So I was so with her and now I'm watching on going, you clearly, I think, let the money speak a little too loudly. Do you reckon? Yeah. Why else would you do it? Yeah, I guess money screams. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm honest, money screams. That is all we've got time for today. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you know what to do. Come and follow us on Apple Podcast, Spotify or wherever you listen. Yeah, we're also on socials. Just search Shameless Podcast and you should be able to find us. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? No, no. That's all, guys. Back in your ears next week. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.